Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. As I have watched the American people over the last few weeks during this pandemic, as they have debated back and forth masks or no masks and social distancing and stay-at-home orders and reopening this or reopening that and how quick or how slow everything should be. One of the things that I have learned about the American people in the pandemic is this. Are you ready? We don't like to be told what to do. I mean, let's just be honest. Now, why do you suppose that is? I, I have a theory. I think it's because Deep down, we think we know better than fill in the blank. I mean, the, the truth is, we think we should be in charge. I mean, come on. Uh, I have a friend that uh, I discuss things with all the time, and so whether we're looking at how they built the highway here or uh, how this politician did that and shouldn't have done this, and, and we will often say to each other, well, if they would have just asked me, it would have turned out better, but they didn't ask me. Well, I think we're all just a little bit like that. As a matter of fact, I think we all live under a delusion. If we'll look deep inside of us, here's the delusion you and I live under. If I were in charge of the world, things would be better. Now, come on, isn't that the truth? Deep down inside, you think if you were in charge of the world, if you could be in charge and make the decisions, things would be better. That's the delusion that we live under. But here's the reality. I'm not even in charge of me. I mean, I'm really not. Think, think about this, and by the way, neither are you. If I were in charge of me, for instance, I would weigh less. If I were in charge of me, I'd be a svelte 185 pounds. So let me ask you, does this look like 185 pounds to you? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me either. If, if I were in charge of me, my finances would be better. I would be thinking more about my IRAs than the IRS, and maybe you would too. If I were in charge of me, my garage would be cleaner. I thought about taking a picture and putting it on the screen, and then I thought, no, that's too embarrassing. But if I were in charge of me, my garage would be cleaner. Well, one more. If I were in charge of me, I would never miss a day reading my Bible. And I don't mean to kind of puncture the bubble of your pastoral image, but there are days when I get so busy and life gets so crazy, I actually go a whole day without reading my Bible. I know, shocking, isn't it? Well, I could go on and give you more proof, but I bet you have a list pretty much just like mine. If I were in charge of me, things would be different. Things would be better if you were in charge of you. So why do you suppose that is? Why am I not in charge of me? Why are you not in charge of you? Well, what is true about me is true about you. You have a heart problem. You really do. 
you have a heart problem. And I'm not talking about uh, the kind of heart problem that I go to see my cardiologist about or you might go see a cardiologist about. Uh, This kind of heart problem is much deeper. It's more insidious. It is a problem of the heart. And this is not just my opinion. This is what the Scripture says. In fact, look at the words of the prophet Jeremiah written many centuries ago, but it's still true today. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart, the prophet said, is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Wow, what a statement about the human heart. And this is not just a a proverb or a religious saying. This is applied to real, everyday human life experience. And not just in the most wicked of people, but even in the most dedicated Christ followers. And for an example, I I have to go to one of my heroes of the faith, the Apostle Paul. Once he came to Christ in faith, in my mind, there has never lived a more godly individual, perhaps, than the Apostle Paul. And yet, look at what Paul himself said about his own heart and the struggle that he dealt with every day. In Romans 7, Verse 15, the Apostle Paul is incredibly transparent and vulnerable and honest when he says about himself, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Why would it be that our hearts are like that? I believe the Scripture teaches it's because we are infected with the disease of sin. But the good news is there is a cure. That's what our series that we are beginning today is all about. It's entitled Matters of the Heart. And for six weeks, we're going to look at some of the issues that we struggle with in our hearts, and we're going to see how God has a solution so that we can live in victory and not defeat over our heart problem. Uh, We'll look at several different issues of the heart during these weeks. Uh, Next week, we'll look at my problem with guilt, and my problem with guilt is no different than your problem with guilt, and we'll look at, at what the Bible has to say about that. And then my problem with envy, wanting what I don't have that others have. And then my problem with anger, that's a powerful one. And then my problem with fear. And then finally, we'll wrap up with a, a message entitled Heart Surgery how the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can give us release from the bondage of these problems of the heart. What this series is all about is how to tell our sinful heart that it is not in charge. 
So think about it. If the Apostle Paul had this struggle with his heart between right and wrong, between wise and unwise, between good judgment and bad judgment, between doing what you would look back upon later with pride and what you would look back upon later with regret. If Paul had this struggle, then so do we. It's in all of us. It's been in every human being that's been born with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with this universal problem and with the, the seriousness of the issues that it brings, does this mean we're just, we're just doomed? We ought to give up? There's no use, we have no chance. Why do we even try? No. There is a path that leads to victory over your heart defect and mine. And it's not by trying harder, it's not by getting smarter, it's not by becoming more religious or finding some special way of meditation or any human effort. It is by applying the truth of God found in the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news is our big idea for this first message. He wants to give us a new heart. I contend that there are certain dangerous emotions in our hearts, inside each one of us. They're hidden but it's almost like it's a beast that is rattling the cage inside of our heart, always looking for a way to get out. And we're going to deal with some of these beasts. And, and if I can take that analogy a, a step further, it's like a lion who is prowling about. If you've ever been to the zoo and you looked at a lion's cage, if they've got enough room, they'll be prowling back and forth, and in reality, they would look for a way to get out, to pounce upon a prey. And those dangerous, sinful emotions are within every one of our hearts. And we are constantly working to try to keep them under control, to try to, to keep the cage locked tight. And sometimes we're not successful. And we can spend our whole lives fighting that battle, or we can learn to let Jesus be in charge and how he can tame the power of the sinful beasts within our hearts. So we'll learn many things from Scripture during these weeks together, but today we're going to start with a story in Matthew chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, open them please to Matthew chapter 15. We'll look at some other passages later on in the message, but this is the core of our spiritual truth today. Matthew 15, let me give you just a little bit uh, of the situation and the context here. Uh, Jesus, once again, has a confrontation with the Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees were constantly looking for a way to discredit and entrap Jesus. They viewed him as a threat to their religious position and the power that came with it, including riches and, and prestige and all of the trappings of their religious office, which really had very little to do with God and very much to do with their own gain. 
So in Matthew chapter 15, they have found something that they believe could entrap Jesus to discredit him and his disciples in front of the people. So let's see the confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, I have to give you a little bit of the background here. Uh, In the Old Testament, there is the Mosaic Law. It's found in a a portion of Scripture known as the, the Torah. And these were written laws of God that were to be kept under the old covenant that Jesus would later abolish and replace with the new covenant of God's grace through faith in him. But Jesus and his disciples had not disregarded or disrespected or disobeyed any of the written law, any of the Mosaic law, the Torah. They had not disobeyed or violated that at all. But the Pharisees had added to the written law. They had a whole system of unwritten laws called the oral tradition that they, and, and really they were not written down, so only they knew exactly what they were, and they used them to manipulate things to their own advantage. And one of the unwritten laws, the traditions that they had established that weren't Scripture, was a certain way of uh, handling the, the, the plates and the utensils, and most of all, of washing their hands a certain way before they would eat a meal of foods that were allowed. All of these things were not Scripture. They were not God's law. They were traditions. By the way, people are still doing that with religious traditions today. There are denominations, there are false religions that have whole books of things that they have written that they add to the Scripture that does not enhance the Scripture but perverts the Scripture. There are denominations that add the teaching of their church and put it on equal standing with the Word of God. And we are very critical as Baptists of of those false religions and those other denominations that do such things. But let's just be real. Uh, Baptists and other evangelical churches have been doing that for a long time. Uh, I remember growing up Baptists, there were all kinds of things that were a part of our traditions, not in Scripture, that you shouldn't do. I can remember when you shouldn't play cards. And you shouldn't wear shorts. And the biggie, when I was growing up, you shouldn't dance. Don't tell anybody. But my wife is still a little bitter that she didn't get to go to dances when she was growing up. Okay, don't tell her, all right? But the reality is, all seriousness, we have added traditions to Scripture. And that is never right. Jesus' disciples had not done anything to violate God's true law, but they had broken the tradition of the Pharisees related to ceremonial 
hand washing. And the Pharisees were trying to use it to discredit Jesus in front of the people because they thought if they could render Jesus' influence over the people to be null and void, they would gain the upper hand over him. But when they tried to pull this false religious card, Jesus wasn't having any of it, and he confronted them. This is beautiful. Verse 3, Jesus replied, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Jesus was throwing down with the Pharisees. It's on. Verse 4, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. I mean, no question here. Honor your father and mother. Sound familiar? Ever heard of the Ten Commandments? It was clear. Verse 5, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I should have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Let me tell you what was happening here. It was clear the Scripture taught that you are to honor your parents. In fact, you were to support them when they were aging. You were to be responsible for the care of your parents. But what the, the, the Pharisees had done is to say, well, if you take your money and you give it, you commit it to the temple, you give it to the temple, then that exempts you from being financially responsible for that command of God's law. And so what they would do, they would take that money that they should have used to support their parents, and they would put it into the temple treasury. Well, guess what happened to the money in the temple treasury? Guess whose pockets it ended up in? Yeah, the Pharisees. So what they were doing was establishing a tradition of their own making that would line their pockets with money that God said should have been used for a righteous cause. And so Jesus calls them out big time in verse 7. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Jesus was exposing the Pharisees for exactly what they were. They were religious people using religion to run a scam. Jesus called them what they were, hypocrites. And by the way, people are still doing the same thing. Religious people using religion to run a scam. Don't you see? That's how abusers find a way to embed themselves in our congregations 
and then perpetrate their awful sin. That's how pastors and religious leaders become adulterers, and when their adultery is discovered, it destroys marriages and families and congregations and lives by the sin of their adultery. That's why people find ways to embezzle money from God's church and the ministries of the Lord. They're religious people running a scam using religion. And Jesus would say today to them the exact same thing he said to the hypocrites, the fakes, and the frauds of his day. You don't have anything to do with me. Jesus said about the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips. They say all the right things. They talk a good game. But don't miss this but their hearts are far from me. They're fake on the inside. And then Jesus gathers the crowd, and they all lean in because they love it when Jesus exposes the sin of the Pharisees. And Jesus says to all of them, you guys have got it so wrong. Look at it, verse 10. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And then Jesus does something I think it's so cool. He leaves the scribes and Pharisees with their mouths hanging open, and he just turns and walks off. (laughs) And the disciples are looking at each other going, what just happened? Let's go ask him. And so they run after Jesus to catch up to him, to ask him a question. (laughs) I have to laugh at the disciples. These guys are the masters of the dumb question. I mean, there really are. This, if, if you see this, you, you have to smile because this question is a dumb doozy. Here we go, verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, do, do you realize that you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? <laughs> yeah, uh, guys, uh, son of God, creator of the world, omniscient, Does he realize that he offended the Pharisees? Of course he realizes it. He intended to offend the Pharisees. And that's what truth does. Truth always offends the guilty. That was Jesus' intention. And and by the way, that's still true. Why do you think preachers make so many people mad? Because the truth offends the guilty. And Jesus was telling a hard but necessary truth. He was telling the disciples. He was telling the people. He was even telling the Pharisees, hey, guys, you're making this about what you eat and how you set the table and, for crying out loud, how you wash your hands. 
And so Jesus says to the disciples in response to their foolish question, verse 16, don't you understand yet, Jesus asked, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. I mean, this was a pretty earthy analogy. He's saying what you eat just goes into your digestive system and comes out as waste. It's nothing. It's refuse. It's waste. Listen, guys. Here's what really matters. Don't miss this. Verse 18. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. What defiles you? What what distances you from a God who is holy and righteous? What comes out of your mouth, the words that you speak, reveal what's really in your heart, the condition of of your heart. And then Jesus goes on to spell it out in no uncertain terms. This is harsh, but it's needed. Verse 19, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. The roaring lions within our hearts, all those evil and destructive things that he lists in verse 19, and that's never meant to be an exhaustive list. Jesus was just giving some of the most egregious and destructive examples of the evil things that can be in our hearts and become evident by our words, that these are the kinds of things that are evidences of a heart that is not in control of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not in charge of that heart. Now, we all understand Now, when Jesus says the heart, he's not talking about the cardiovascular muscle that pumps blood through our bodies. The heart throughout the Scripture and really in all of English language and literature and even other languages, the heart is symbolic of that part of our minds that controls our will, that controls our emotions, that makes decisions, that, that has our values and our beliefs, the very core of who we are as human beings, the part of us that we can surrender to the transforming power and the ongoing control of the Holy Spirit, or we can let remain shackled to the remnants of our sinful nature. Our words, our actions, our attitudes, all revealed which it is at any given moment in our life. Those external things are not the real issue. The real issue is our heart. And every regret, 
every bad decision, every sinful choice in your past and in my past was a matter of the heart. And that's what we're going to look at for these six weeks, that there are things inside our heart vying for control of us, vying to be in charge. And when the wrong things are in charge, we live with regret and sin. If the guilt that you are carrying down deep in your heart is in charge of you, it will wreak havoc and destruction in your life. If envy takes charge of you, it will cause you to do things that will destroy relationships and mar the image of Christ that ought to be evident in your life and mine. If anger is in charge, well, some of you know that very well. Some of you grew up with a father where anger was in charge of his heart. Or maybe some of you are living with a spouse where anger is in charge of his or her heart. Or maybe you're a spouse or a parent, and anger is in charge of your heart. Or maybe fear is what's in charge, and insecurity rules over you every day of your life. We're going to deal with these things from the Word of God in these next few weeks. And I just want to give you hope. If you are a Christ follower, if you have given your heart to Jesus Christ, if he has taken up residence in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the triune God lives inside of you with the power to conquer those beasts and not just keep them locked up, but to render them powerless to rule over you and the things you say and the actions you take. The Holy Spirit will rule over every part of you you surrender access for him to inhabit and to control. And we want to talk about that over these next few weeks. But when you deny him that control, when you say, no, I'll be in charge, well, I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said about that. Look with me at Ephesians 4, verses 30 through 32. Paul said, and do not bring sorrow. Some translations say, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, don't just pass over that. Think about what that means. The Holy Spirit has marked you with an indelible mark that you belong to the God of all creation, the one who sent his son to pay for your sin upon the cross. And by faith, you have accepted his payment for you. And so he has marked you as belonging to him. And so since that's true, since you are a child of the king, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, 
rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Oh, you may hear that and say, well, pastor, that, that sounds great, but how do I, how do, I do that? I, I try to follow. I try to do all the right. I try to keep the rules. I try to check the things off the Baptist list. And, and Jesus would say to you, oh, dear child, you're just washing your hands, trying to clean your heart. Hear what Jesus has to say, what we want to unfold so that it might become living reality in your life. Look at these verses, the words of Jesus from Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. For some of you, that describes you perfectly today. You're weary. You're tired. You've been working hard and not making any progress. You're carrying heavy burdens, and Jesus says, stop it. Come to me. I will give you rest. Oh, can you just, can you just dwell on that word from Jesus? <sighs> rest rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. Don't miss that. Some of you look at, at, at the Lord as if he's a marine drill sergeant, that he's barking orders at you and he's condemning you for what you're doing wrong and he's whipping you into shape. That's not your Lord Jesus. Hear what he says about himself, of how he wants to relate to you. Let me teach you because I am humble. I'm gentle. And you will find, there it is, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. It's not a burden. It's not all these rules. It's not ceremonial hand-washing and a thousand other things. His yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you, it's light. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks in matters of the heart. I hope you'll be with us each and every week of this series. Let me leave you with two next step challenges, and I hope you'll take them seriously. Today, open your heart to whatever God wants to do in you during this series. I mean, let's be honest. Some, some of you come to church, maybe not physically, and, and maybe over these last few weeks there in your home, you've been listening, and, and you may not be physically posed like this, but in your heart, you're just kind of like this. Yeah, let me see. And what I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you to do, not, not to me. I have no significant things to say, but God wants to speak to you during these weeks. So I'm pleading with you, 
just open up. Just open up. He wants to give you rest. So beginning today, would you just be open to what God wants to do? And then secondly, see what he wants to do in you, not as correction for your failures. This is not coming in to whip you up or to punish you or to scold you for how you're still not measuring up. That's not what this is about. He wants to speak to you so that he can transform your heart to be like his. This is good news because he wants to give us a new heart. Let me pray for you. Thank you, O Lord, that you are not a God of oppression. You are not a a God of, of judgment and punishment for those who come to you in faith. You are gentle. You teach us. And you don't just leave us to do the best we can with truth that you impart, but you empower us to do through you and for you, to glorify you those things we could never do on our own. So, Lord, in these next few weeks, beginning right now, help each one of us to open ourselves to you that you might give us a new heart, a heart like yours, a heart of love and gentleness and mercy and kindness, and grace. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus.